Hello and welcome back to Screen Cleaning. This is the show that shines a big old spotlight on all that is good in entertainment. Isn't that right, Cole Wissinger? It is, Jeff Simpson. Thank you. This We did something a little different today and we introduced each other. That's exciting and new. It's because we like each other, Jeff. Speaking of exciting and new, we like to spend each and every show, we start each and every show by talking about the good news that has come out over the past week. And there is Plenty of good news to talk about this week, Cole. It seems like there always is, but uh, there's between the trailers and the new stuff going on in Hollywood, casting news, this week seemed especially good. Right. So let's talk about a couple of Marvel things first. So there's one character that is very prominently featured in many a Marvel movie, as well as a couple of the Sony movies, although maybe never again. We're speaking, of Other course... Other way around, but Spider-Man. <laughs> we're speaking, of course, of Samuel L. Jackson. Now, Cole, oh. why, is, why is Sam Jackson in the news? Sam Jackson is in the news yes. because if you would like, and if you're bored with just Alexa's normal robot-sounding lady voice, you can opt into a Samuel L. Jackson-voiced... Alexa for your home. Oh my goodness, how awesome would that be? Everybody loves Sam Jackson, right? Sure. <laughs> but I'm I do love him as an actor. I'm not sure I would love him yelling at me for adding eggs to my grocery and list and swearing at your kids and things like that. Yeah, probably. I would hope that they don't add swearing to Alexa. I'm sure they won't. Cuz no. kids are very well versed, probably more so than us in Alexa and Google and Siri and all that. It might be fun but you need to create the child-friendly option. Right. Always. Okay. So let's now talk about the bit of news that I think you thought I was going to talk about first. Mm-hmm. And so we know that Star Wars is Disney-owned now. As is Marvel. As is Marvel. Marvel has done extremely well. As People, has not Star Wars recently. I, that's debatable. The numbers would suggest otherwise. However... Star Wars is where things get a little more heated as far as the fan base is concerned. Right, Cole? Yes. You have a lot of complaints. And in terms of box office uh, returns, actually, Solo did not do nearly as well as it needed to. And coming off of the critically divisive Last Jedi. Right. So what does Disney do with a franchise that is kind of either waning in its popularity or is making more people upset. What do we do? What do we do? We put it in the hands of the guy that has proven himself in the Disney studios, and that is Kevin Feige. That is right. So there hasn't been a lot of news anymore about Ryan Johnson's new trilogy that he's going to do for Star Wars. I think the last I heard it might be coming to Disney+, Plus, but it's kind of nebulous. Yeah, but I wonder what that's going to look like. First of all, what exactly does Kevin Feige do? Because he doesn't write the scripts. He doesn't direct the movies. He doesn't cast the movies. What does he do? But he's at least a guy in charge. He's someone okay. that oversees <laughs> and makes sure that everything is in line. He's the con- the holder of the continuity. He gets all the credit. Will. But but for doing the job of 
of keeping track of what Star Wars kind of couldn't do. Star, especially Solo, the whole release, the changing directors halfway through, the the mixed vision on what it was going to be, I think is something that a a firm head in charge could have curtailed and made better. Like you release it, you that was the only one of the new Star Wars is to release in summer as opposed to around Christmas time. Uh, they were fighting with themselves. It was released right around Incredibles two. They changed directors halfway through. They didn't know if it was going to be a comedy or a serious Star Wars. And so having someone in charge to make those decisions clear and concise is what they need. And as a matter of fact, Jeff, Mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember, but we did an episode where we kind of put franchises in hands of different directors and people. And we talked about Star Wars. And I, on this show, Jeffrey, said that the way I would cure Star Wars is to give it in the hands of... A1 Kevin Feige. What? I don't remember this. And then they did it. We can go back and check the tape. Wow. Check the tape. No, that's amazing, Cole. And so does this mean that Kathleen Kennedy is not going to be in the picture for this movie? And she was kind of that person. Right. She And, you know, she was uh, she was kind of the person that uh, the uh, the two previous directors of Solo, Chris McKay and Phil Lord, they kind of butted heads and they had differences of opinion and uh yeah i wonder i wonder if she's going to be in the picture this time around someone had to be the fall guy for the way solo was kind of handled i don't know if it was kathleen kennedy's fault it'd be a shame if it wasn't and she just kind of is the public appearance but like we said with kevin fight we don't really know what he does but he's the public face of it when things go good that means you're famous when things go bad that means you take the take the hit. <laughs> we don't know what he does, but he does it so well. That's it. <laughs> All right. Well, in other news, speaking of franchises that, you know, they might need to go in a different direction or at least in this case, maybe bring back some of those puzzle pieces that made the franchise successful in the first place. Another franchise we actually mentioned in our different directors episode if right. we're promoting our podcast right now. Right. And I wanna I wanna note on record here that even though the last couple of Jurassic World movies have not been all that fantastic, really there hasn't been a good Jurassic Park movie since Jurassic Park. We had an eight-minute YouTube video that was better than any Jurassic right. movie so since you Jurassic it? Park. I have since. Yeah, watch the short video called Battle of Big Rock. Battle at the Big Rock. Battle yeah. of the Big Rock, and it's directed by Jurassic World's director, Colin Trevorrow. Colin Trevorrow, uh, incidentally, was supposed to direct a Star Wars movie, but then when, well, I don't know if it was the I don't know if it was as a result of another movie he directed being such a box office bomb, but the timing is suspect, Cole. Mm. Even though I haven't liked really the new Jurassic World movies, I like the direction that the very end of the last Jurassic Park movie took. Because to me, it seems like all of a sudden they could start an entire new franchise now where it's basically Planet of the Apes, but with dinosaurs. I don't know if I want to see dinosaurs start talking. I don't know if I want it to go that far. But this idea of the dinosaurs now are out in the open. Anything could happen, and you better watch your back. And that is that is what we got with Battle at Big Rock. But mm-hmm. it seems like with this new news, they're just trying to recapture the olden days because we found out that Laura Dern and Sam Neill... And Jeff Goldblum. And Jeff Goldblum, who was 
in a little bit of the more recent Jurassic World. They will all be coming back for Jurassic World three. And not Whatever to be not to titled. be uh, not to be too shallow here, but one can hope that we see a shirtless Jeff Goldblum again, just for the sake of a meme, for if old nothing else. Sake. Yeah, for old time. <laughs> for old time's sake. Oh, very good. And speaking again, it's mostly franchise news today because why why uh, get rid of a good thing when you've got a good thing going, Cole? Or is it why spoil a good thing? I don't know. If it know. ain't broke. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Until you need to fix it? Well, until you want more money, I think. Oh, okay. So, but let me tell you why I'm excited about this next piece of news. We got another teaser trailer for the Netflix Breaking Bad movie. It's called El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie. Yeah. And then the very next day, they gave us a full-length trailer. And the reason I'm excited about this is because it's written and directed by the show's creator, Vince Gilligan. So at the very least, going back to their roots, they've got it in the right hands that nobody knows this universe better than Vince Gilligan. So they're going to get it right. And it's going to be amazing. And it's going to be insanely popular. I am predicting right here and now. It'll be good for Netflix. (laughs) Netflix needs a win right about now. Thank you for for keeping me humble and uh, curbing my expectations, Cole. That's why I'm here. <laughs> okay, how about a piece of news that I know you're going to be excited about? Because, as I understand, you are a huge fan of the long-running series long, Supernatural, long, long. right? Very long-running seasons series yeah. Supernatural, going into their final season now, and so their stars it's good kind of need something new to do. Maybe uh, CBS has not been shy about rebooting some of their old properties, and they're doing it again with Walker, Texas Ranger, popularized, Yay. of course, by Chuck <laughs> Norris, but. Supernatural star and Texas native Jared Padalecki will be taking up the star on his chest here for a Walker, Texas Ranger reboot. Oh, you got to know it's going to air on the CW, right? Uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> he has a fan base. Wow. That's where it's at. How do you... I'm sorry. They're Chuck... shopping it around. It has not officially been picked up by any network, but okay, okay. we know it's going to the CW. <laughs> Chuck Norris objectively might not be the greatest actor around, but I'm sorry. How do you follow... <laughs> In Chuck Norris's shoe. How, like, how do you follow his act on Walker, Texas Ranger? That's going to be tough to do, Cole. Uh, very tough to do. But yeah. they'll figure it out. Okay. Jared Padalecki comes with his own fan base, and I All think right. it will be, I don't know, as good as Magnum P.I. or Hawaii Five-0 yeah. or any of the other ones that CBS has drudged up. MacGyver. Well, Cole, I am getting excited for baseball playoffs Something you don't hear very often, though, is, oh, who's going to be singing the national anthem at at, Game 2 of the World World Series, Series, right? But something that is talked about, in fact, well in advance is who's going to be performing halftime show at the Super Bowl. And now we have the answer for who's going to be doing it next time. Welcome back to 2006, folks, because it will be J-Lo and Shakira. Did they both do it in 2006 or did just no, J-Lo? No, but they were popular back in 2006. <laughs> oh, okay. Wow. Wow. It seems like we missed our – so this would have been the perfect pairing right after the Justin Timberlake, Janet Jackson Super Bowl when we started just getting old man rock groups for like 10 years. You know what? Now we're back to the pop artists, but we're getting a couple folks that are about 10 years too late to they're, the Super Bowl. They're both super busy and try – I mean, I can only imagine trying to get the two of them together at one time would be really difficult. 
J-Lo and, just has a new movie coming out. And, you know, Oscar buzz around J-Lo and her new movie. We don't need to talk about her movie because we didn't see it. <laughs> um, but a movie we did see, or at least that I saw, is a biopic about Judy Garland starring yeah. Renee Zellweger. Talking about music. Take it away, Jeff. Now, it's interesting because you watch this movie and you think, my goodness, Renee Zellweger has come a long way since her... Gosh, isn't she cute girl next door role that she had in Jerry Maguire? And don't get me wrong, she nails that role in Jerry Maguire. And she nails this role in Judy. This is what people are going to be talking about the most when they come out of the theater is, oh my gosh, Renee Zellweger kills it as Judy Garland. Now, you could say that it's just a really good imitation But you cannot argue the fact that Renee Zellweger is the best part of this movie. She is electric. There were a couple of jaw-dropping scenes, including the first time you see her perform on stage. They do a single cut of an entire musical number, and I was blown away by her performance in this. You can tell that she's doing her own singing. I'm sure it's pre-recorded, but she's done her own singing before in Chicago to great effect there. That was a Best Picture winner. But uh, unfortunately, the performance is better than the movie itself. I do kind of like the structure that they've created here, going back and forth between uh, Judy Garland's later years as this fading star that wants to try to have this big comeback and younger Judy Garland as a child actress just trying to survive the terrible tormenting that she experiences by the hands of the head of MGM Studios, Mr. Mayer. You spend the movie thinking, now, how much of this is actually true? Do they actually slip her sleeping pills and slip her these other drugs to keep her awake during the day so that she could work these terrible hours? Did they really monitor her eating that closely? If it is true— Early days of Hollywood, nothing would surprise me yeah. of how they treated their lady actresses. If it is true, it's it's a horror story, Cole. Yeah. It's really sad to behold— um, it sounds like the, the format takes almost a page out of Love and Mercy's book, yeah. which is one of the better music biopics out there. And this is certainly not as good as Love and Mercy. Okay. But, um, yeah, who knows where the truth lies? You know what? The truth probably lies somewhere over the rainbow, Cole. There we go. I thought we were going the truth is out there, but yeah, your no, reference no. actually fit the R- Renee Zellweger will be nominated for an Oscar for this movie. And uh, I didn't know that she basically had to go all the way to London to resurrect her career one more time just months before she passed away. And uh, a tragedy. Died at 47. And if everything in the movie or if some of the things in the movie are true, you really, really sympathize with her. And you, you, you feel bad for child actors in general because it's, it's probably true that they still put up with some of these terrible things today, even today. It's it's a rough cost for fame. Yeah, yeah. If you're not going to be seeing Judy this weekend, a safer bet is going to be abominable. We didn't see it, but a very special friend of ours, Rod Gustafson, did. We can't wait to hear what he thought of abominable when we return. This is Screen Cleaning. Forget your troubles, come on, get happy. You better chase all your cares away. Shout hallelujah, come on, get happy. 
Get ready for the judgment day. Brenda, I'm making this up on the spot. Which is impressive, let's be honest. Come on. Welcome back to Screen Cleaning. We are so excited to have on the show today a very special guest that we bring on from time to time. His name is Rod Gustafson. He's a producer here at BYU Radio and a longtime friend of the show. Rod, welcome back. Hi. Nice to be here. So... We're going to be talking movie ripoffs today. So movies that are eerily similar. That came out at an eerily similar time right. as one another. So will you explain the song that we came into? It sounds like Under Pressure, sure. but in a it's, more British accent. It's <laughs> Under Pressure with a bit of a twist. They uh, In the movie Smallfoot, the, this song is prominently featured, sung by James Corden, as you heard there. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about Smallfoot here in just a minute. After we talk about another Yeti or Bigfoot kind of movie. Right. Abominable. Yeti, there's another movie. No, that didn't work. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah. So, Abominable. Here is an animation. So, first of all, guys, I had to remind myself what it was like to be eight years old and go see a movie. Because, you know, oh, f- let, me, let me back up a minute. The worst thing that happened to me at the theater last night was not this movie. I got the seniors discount. That was just Whoa. like, seriously? Whoa. And I thought, you've made a mistake. But they <laughs> I want you to know this particular theater had a much lower age for seniors than I was expecting. So with that kind of uh, going into Wasn't the theater. Wasn't that a special feeling, though? <laughs> very the, special. I, I very remember special. going to the movies with my dad and thinking, someday. Someday. Someday I'll get well, that seniors discount. Me, Jeff. <laughs> so after going through that little painful moment as I positioned myself in the movie, I had to remind myself watching this film uh, Abominable that you know this is really a great movie for the 8 to about 12, 13 year old crowd, maybe even down to about 6 years old, but mom and dad go with them because there are some scary moments But as opposed to the sending your 6 year old to the movie theater by themselves all by themselves, them it happens Cole, it happens somebody call child those, protective those services small movie theaters, well the 6 year old will go with the 11 year old and the 11 year old's having a great time and doesn't even notice the 6 year old is under under her seat you know, and Eating, <laughs> chewed up bubblegum yeah, oh. and trying not to see the screen because it's scary, yeah, so uh, Abominable really falls into that range. And this is a movie about a young Chinese girl. And uh, she lives in Shanghai. And she finds a Yeti on her apartment rooftop, which, you know, that doesn't happen every day. And, of course, when she first finds it, she's afraid of it. And it's kind of snarly because there's a bad guy uh, who is trying to find this Yeti. And mm. the reason he wants to find the Yeti uh, is because when his name is Burnish, by the way, voiced by um, Eddie Izzard. And when he was younger, I know, that's a stretch. When he was younger, he climbed Mount Everest and he saw a Yeti, but nobody will believe him. Which, by the way, supposedly Sir Edmund Hillary said he saw strange footprints and hair when he mm. went up Everest. So nobody would believe him. So now he wants to capture the Yeti to prove it. And this little girl has found the Yeti hiding on her apartment roof. So now she wants to try and friend the Yeti. And, and of course, the two of them bond and it becomes that type of a movie. What's really cool about this film, this is a 
made by DreamWorks in the United States, but it's a co-production with a big Chinese studio called Pearl. And uh, it really is like a little tour through China's greatest hits on a, a, in a kind of a travelogue road trip movie. Because what this young gal wants to do, she wants to take the Yeti back to Mount Everest, back to its home where it belongs. And you know, that's going to be quite the vacation. You know, that sounds kind of similar. They're, they're looking for the Yeti. The first place I would have looked was in my spaghetti. Because mm-hmm. that's nice. Because that rhymes with Yeti. It's a it's a yes. game. You never played Yeti yes. in my spaghetti. <laughs> I would have looked there first. Well, anyway, the reason one of the reasons we wanted to talk about Abominable is because there are a couple of other movies that have come out pretty recently that have a very similar theme. One of which was uh, Smallfoot, starring James Corden, and another one was Missing Link, starring Hugh Jackman and Zach Galifianakis. Where Hugh Jackman is an explorer, so he's not the the bad guy. Isn't the explorer in this one? But Hugh Jackman's the explorer looking for that missing link. He stumbles upon a Sasquatch voiced by Zach Galifianakis, <laughs> and they try to return him to Mount Everest or somewhere in the Himalayas where he can be back with his people, which sounds very similar uh-huh. to what they were doing yes. in Abominable. It is. And, yeah, I, I have not seen that. That is actually going to be our family movie night tonight. Missing right on. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, nice. I did enjoy it. It's Leica, which is a studio that gave us Kubo and the Two Strings. And Coraline. Mm. Very, yeah. So not as scary as Coraline for okay. sure, but that <laughs> different kind of animation style where it's stop motion-y looking. Yeah. And I was actually pleasantly surprised by Smallfoot. I went in with very low expectations. And I was actually surprised within the first minute or so because I had no idea that I was going to see a musical. And this is from Warner Brothers Animation Studios. And the whole concept of this movie is what if, you know, all these yetis are up above the clouds and they actually have a human sighting? You know, it's just the reverse of the yeti sighting, but this time it's a human sighting. And I was quite entertained by it, actually. I've watched it since and it. It's uh, it's fun for the whole family. So who's really ripping off who mm. in all of these Bigfoot movies? That is a question for the ages, Cole, and <laughs> one that we want to... I don't know if we're going to answer it right now, but we're just going to provide many other illustrated or illustrations of this same idea of movies coming out about the same time that are pretty much the same movie, right? Yeah, and so... Smallfoot does have a lot of differences from these other ones, but we'd never really had a good Abominable Snowman movie until all of a sudden, within a two-year span, (laughs) we have three different Abominable (laughs) Snowman movies. We never knew we wanted one that bad. And and, and so it's and these how weird. How does that happen? Yeah, it's these know? weird yeah. niche ideas where they're yeah. so similar. They come out the same time, kind of like when Pixar was in the early stages of their production company. They released their second ever feature, A Bug's Life, but were beaten to the movie theaters mm-hmm. by a Woody Allen animation joint, <laughs> Ants with yeah. a Z. Nineteen ninety-eight. Have you seen both of these films? Yes, I have. I have too. And, you know, it's interesting, as much as A a Bug's Life is geared toward kids, I don't think Ants is really a kid's movie. No. (laughs) It's a Woody Allen movie. It's It's a Woody Woody Allen Allen movie to be animated animated with ants. Right. Yeah. And the critters aren't nearly as cute. That's if you could put it that way. Yeah, animation polished. was yes, in its yes. early CGI Yeah, this is Yeah, this is digital CGI. you know what? I mean, 
probably this these two movies are probably the most critically acclaimed of any of the movies we're going to talk about as far as both of them being critically acclaimed and uh which is kind of tough to do when you've got two movies that are pretty much exactly the same but really opposite once you've seen them mm-hmm. yeah 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 so speaking of other animated films that came out the same time that were just so similar I, one of the first examples that always comes to my mind is Despicable Me and Megamind. See, mm. now, Jeff, this is the first one that comes to Jeff's mind, people, because <laughs> he is a fan of the underdog. He likes the one that didn't get picked up for all the sequels and the spinoffs, and that's why. And, You're just jealous. And Megamind surprised me. That was one of those films where I thought, oh, this is going to be painful, and yet I was pleasantly surprised. There was some good stuff in that movie. Don't worry. You can reserve your pain for Despicable 2, no. or Despicable Me 2 and 3, and Minions, and I think they're making oh, minions. more. Oh, so. Minions. Minions, definitely, yeah. Yeah, but I no, objectively, Cole, I think that Megamind was the better funnier movie so this idea of a villain trying to become a good guy once you know he's got a kid in his life or in the case of megamind somebody that he has a crush on so yeah just another example of another movie or two similar movies coming out at the same time so you prefer megamind in that right and rod does as well Ah, it's a real tough one for me. I did really enjoy the first two. Unlike Jeff, I I thought Despicable Me still had legs even into the the second. Yeah, I I enjoyed the first Despicable Me, making that distinction, more Mm -hmm. than Megamind. They're both very good. Yeah. Um, Going back for just a second, which one do you prefer between A Bug's Life and Ants? Bug's Life. Bug's Life. However, Bugs Bugs Life is not really an original idea. It's the Seventh Samurai. It's Three Amigos. It's trying to recruit these these uh, people that you think are creatures that you think are heroes, but they're really just imposters. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah. cool and animated. Yeah. And one of them's a ladybug, but yeah. he's got a really manly voice, so it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the next one is Finding Nemo and a Shark's Tale. Now, I uh, did not see Finding Nemo until years after it was released. I've never really? seen a Shark's Tale but, I mean, come on. Finding Nemo. Albert Brooks is at his neurotic best in this film. Yeah. It's it's back to the old. So it's basically, if Bug's Life is a Woody Allen movie, uh, Finding Nemo is an Albert Brooks movie. So think back to movies like Defending Your Life and uh, that one where he loses all his money in Vegas. I can't. The title ex- escapes me right now. But it's just Albert Brooks kind of. Complaining and bickering and, you know, kind of like Woody Allen, you know? It's true. Yeah. <laughs> Playing Marlin, like the guy going out looking for his son. Yeah. yeah. As all these just things happen to him and he has to deal with Ellen DeGeneres' Dory and he has to deal with all these laid back turtles. And eventually he kind of loosens up by the end. Well, and I must admit I kind of bonded with that character because I remember when Nemo came out, my kids were pretty little. And, uh, yeah, I thought, yeah, I feel like that guy, you know, and that's how come I've always enjoyed Albert Brooks. So am I way off base in saying that this is the movie that resurrected Ellen DeGeneres' career? I, uh, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I thought she was rolling pretty good anyway, but yeah, it certainly did her no Yeah, early 2000s was when harm. her talk show was taking off. I mean, she had that little lull between 
her show and her talk show, but I'm pretty sure that the talk show was already going on when Finding Nemo hit. Okay, Mm -hmm. well, so tell me about A Shark's Tale then. Because I've uh, yeah. never seen it. Rod, Rod's the only one that's seen so, it. Oh, <laughs> man, it just, I, you know, here's the problem with The Shark's Tale is I, it's it's forgettable. It really is. I mean, I remember seeing it. It's Will Smith as a, a It's Will fish. Smith, and I remember Will Smith, yeah, doing okay. the voice. That's about it. <laughs> you know, I, it, for me, it was one of many animations that you kind of go through and you think, oh, okay, that was all right. I suspect Abominable will be in that category in 10 years as well. Now, it also had Martin Scorsese in it. So we've got Martin yes, Scorsese. playing the mafia shark. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yes. my goodness. So we have – it's interesting. We have all these famous directors mm-hmm. that are lending their voices to these animated films. Also, Albert Brooks, Woody and Allen. and De Niro are both in Shark's oh, Tale. Funny. But, you know, again, it's just like when we said that Ants was m- much more, you know, an adult animation. I kind of felt the same way about Shark's Tale, too. It, it had a lot of those jokes from what I recall in it and, and just the overall – Overall tone of it was something that you just really, you know, especially compared to finding. I think DreamWorks was, they were in the early stages of their production studio as well. They were making PG movies instead of G movies. They were trying to be a little different. Okay, Cole, when do you think Finding Nemo came out? I know that it was 2003. 2003, May 2003. The Ellen Show debuted September 2003. Mm. So this was if it wasn't because of Finding Nemo, the the timing there is is yeah is pretty eerie. So I think so. Really, the two similarities were Finding Nemo and the Ellen and DeGeneres the Ellen show, show that came out the same. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's because what I'm trying Scorsese to say. The two did, fish Scorsese did not get a Daily Show. Yeah, <laughs> that is true. Weird. <laughs> okay, so I think we've got one more animated matchup we want to talk about. Now, one of these is a little more obscure. However, Madagascar is well known by many I a like kid and, and long suffering oh, parents. No, please don't, like do move it. don't do that. Don't do that. Stop it. now. So, I, can I make a confession? I've never actually seen any of the Madagascar proper films. I Whoa. have seen Penguins of Madagascar, which really blew me away. I was not expecting much, and I laughed a lot in that film. In the weird, funny spinoff category, oh. Penguins of Madagascar, much better than Minions. <laughs> oh, yes, for sure. And I have also never seen The Wild, so I, I'm going to have to defer to the two of you on these ones. I, I was youngish when these were coming out, and I had actually seen The Wild first, and I preferred The Wild when it came out. Really? I did, too. And wow. then... I realized that Madagascar was the one that was getting all the buzz, and so I watched it again, kept watching the sequels. You jumped on the bandwagon, I jumped on the Cole. bandwagon, but, <laughs> but at the time, before I had okay. you know, pop culture influencing me at all, I preferred The Wild. Now, I did watch them at a similar enough time also. I think I saw them both in theaters, that it's tough to remember which group of zoo animals that's making their escape like has which group of zoo, because they both have a giraffe featured right there's a lion in both of them but there's a koala in the wild but but not madagascar uh madagascar is the one that has chris rock as the zebra right right the other one 
This yes. one? No, that's Madagascar. These two, yes. more than any of the other animates we've talked about, I actually do get confused. So if I remember right, the wild is just the cub that gets out of the zoo and grows up into a lion and, and he winds up out in the jungle and everything else. And that's where you get the group together, is out in the wild. And so, that, so that's <laughs> where it is a New little... York city also. Yeah. Well, doesn't he wind up, though? He winds up out in the... Out the wild. The, yeah, in the wild in I Africa. I think or so. Yeah, yeah. I also remember they do the Lion King thing where, like, he can't roar originally, but, like, the ghost of his father, like, comes to remind him how to roar and, like, become a man as a lion. But most importantly, there's a herd of wildebeest led by William Shatner. That, you can't go wrong. I knew William Shatner was in yes. that movie. <laughs> so there you go. That makes the movie. You had me at William Shatner. Yeah. Now I've got to watch it. It right? wins. <laughs> okay. So those are some of the animated matchups that we've created for today's purposes. I, I think one that is still pretty fresh in everybody's memory whenever you have this type of a conversation about movies that pretty much have the same plot is and in fact I remember it, these two movies causing a lot of confusion. Some people thinking that they were going to see an Edward Norton movie, mm, others thinking mm. that they were going to see a Christian Bale movie, and being either disappointed or surprised when they sat down and realized this isn't what I remember in the trailers at all. Right? We're speaking, of course, of the Prestige. And The Illusionist. Again, going back to the Abominable Snowman thing, how many movies about magicians have there just ever been in the history of Hollywood? And yet these two came out right around the same time in the early 2000s. Well, now they can't seem to stop making those Now You See Me movies. Now you don't. Mm-hmm. They should have called the second one. Now you don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they missed opportunity there, Cole. <laughs> or now you see me too, T-O-O. Or just, anyway, The now, Illusionist and The Prestige. I have seen both of these movies, and they both came out in 2006. And of the two, I prefer the Christian Bale, Hugh Jackman, Christopher, Christopher Nolan-directed film, The Prestige. Mm-hmm. Because, I'm first of all, I'm just a huge Christopher Nolan fan. But I think, objectively, it's just the better film. It's more... More of a mystery. The mystery is, uh, it's more captivating than the mystery and the illusionist, I think. Yeah. And uh, both of them have some sort of love triangle that's going on as well. And uh, the the illusionist doesn't really have dueling magicians, but it does have the love triangle and it does have the magic in it. And please I, tell me that Michael Caine is in the prestige, right? I've of got course, this yes. straight. Christopher yes. Nolan <laughs> has pretty much said that he's my good luck charm and... Since he started putting Christopher Nolan in his movies, since, or yeah, since Christopher Nolan has started putting Michael Caine in his movies, I think back when he did Batman Begins was Mm -hmm. their first collaboration, he's put him in every single one of his movies, including you can hear his voice in Dunkirk. Oh. But he's been in every single one since then. There you go. When we had our Christopher Nolan discussion, I was the one kind of pounding the drum for the prestige. I think I called it my second favorite Chris Nolan movie. And I definitely think that it is better than its magician counterpart of the mid-2000s, The Illusionist. Okay. What do you think, Rod? I like the prestige better as well. I I felt like there was just more of a wow to it and uh, yeah I just which a magician like it, movie need, like it, it, which the prestige need, yeah. the part where you yeah. the magic happens yeah, yeah. it's gotta and, be cool and so, the tension between the characters I thought was incredible time will tell whether Michael Caine will be in the newest Christopher Nolan movie oh I'm looking at the cast list here Tenant or Tenet 
and Michael Caine is on the cast list. I got mm, to see nice. a teaser trailer for this movie when I went and saw Ad Astra last week, which if you've still not seen, please go out and see it. I thoroughly enjoyed it. You it. sold it to me. I really need see to go it, see this See movie, it on the yeah. biggest possible screen you can. You'll feel the sound of the movie rumbling through your entire body. It is a spectacle to behold. Anyway, um, what are some other ones here, Cole? I noticed that, oh, of course, this is one that came out. These two came out when I was in high school. This is, I think, the example. Oh, really? Like mm-hmm. when, I would have said Prestige Illusionist was no, the example. When I think of two movies that came out at the same time that are eerily similar, okay. that people get confused, it's got to be Deep Impact and Armageddon. Yes, yes. absolutely. Yes. And I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to go with the movie that did not make as much money, and that is Deep Impact. I enjoyed more than Armageddon. I did too. Yeah, I just felt like it was taking its subject more seriously. Armageddon for me, I thought, like, you know. I have seen enough serious end of the world movies. <laughs> I there is nothing like Armageddon. <laughs> Arm- I guess Deep Impact did not have Aerosmith and Liv Tyler. And, it didn't have a group and Animal of Crackers. Uh, oil. I'm sorry, that scene just did. That scene alone just shot down any. Any thought that I could believe anything that was going to happen in this movie? Oh, yeah. Speaking know. of Ad Astra, I think Liv Tyler has exactly as much dialogue oh, my in goodness. Armageddon as just <laughs> the hot girlfriend yeah. as she does in Ad Astra. So Ad Astra has not gotten great audience scores, but maybe maybe that's what they were missing. Maybe they were missing a duet between Brad Pitt and Liv Tyler. Maybe they wanted the two of them to sing. I think so. So, you know, speaking of low box office returns, I think even Armageddon, as much money as it seems like it made, uh, made not nearly as much money as they thought it would. I remember going to the movie theater and they like pulled out all the stops. They had people out there barbecuing hot dogs and they were like Armageddon dogs and things like that. They were trying to get all this merchandising going. And this was built to be a blockbuster. Right. And it it did okay, but it didn't do as well as they hoped it would. Yeah. But I still, I still loved it. You you get just this motley crew of every men together to go save, to go be astronauts and save the world. I had to, I had to. Steve Buscemi. I had to fact check this. Actually, a little better than $200 million, which for back then, that's not a slouch. What was the budget, On though? Armageddon. Yeah, the budget. Probably. Yeah, the budget, <laughs> probably back then. I would think about 70, 80. I don't know. Those flying rocks, though, they look pretty good. They hold up. <laughs> oh, just on a wor- TV. Actually, worldwide. Whoa, it did way better than I thought it did, Jeff. I was with you. I was about to nod my head. $553 million worldwide. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, so there you go. I'm surprised it didn't spawn a sequel then. No idea what the budget was, but it wouldn't have been that 140 much. $140 million. Yeah, okay. Boy, that was a big risk. Okay, back yeah. then, uh, 140 mil was huge. We're talking yeah, about spawning sequels, though, the modern-day action equivalent of this, the the two movies that are eerily similar, and, and I think our last example we're going to talk about today is when Olympus Has Fallen and White House Down mm. both tackled the idea of the White House being infiltrated by terrorists and one man trying to save the president. Mm. Yeah. And who is that one man? It's got to be like a. It's got to be like Bruce Willis or Harrison Ford or, or uh, who's always that one man? D- Dwayne the Rock Johnson seems to be the one man these days. Yes, it's Channing Tatum <laughs> and or Gerard Butler. Yeah. Oh boy, good luck movies. with that. <laughs> so yeah, Channing Tatum has done pretty well with his blockbusters. 
which is interesting because of these two films, his movie didn't do as well, right? Correct. And this is why this is my favorite example of all this, because this is, I think, my only example where I back the underdog. White House Down, I think, was the better movie with C. Tates and Jamie Foxx as the Mm. president versus the Gerard Butler and Morgan Freeman as or was Aaron Eckhart the president? Yeah, Aaron Eckhart. Yeah, I think Aaron was Eckhart the was the president. Morgan Freeman's just around, but Olympus Has Fallen is the one that got London Has Fallen, and then very recently, just this year, Angel Has Fallen. Hmm. Okay. Now I've got movie blur with this. Remind me which <laughs> one had the little girl? That was the Channing Tatum. Channing yes. Tatum yeah, definitely yeah, did. Yeah, yeah it was yeah. because. As any good diehard where yeah. you're alone and you you got to be able to save the high stakes thing, but you also got to save your family got, as well. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, okay, Cole, I'll give it to you that White House Down is supposed to be this big, dumb, fun blockbuster movie. And it was. And to give you an eye, just to uh, drive that point home, it's directed by Roland Emmerich, who did Independence Godzilla. Day, The Day After Tomorrow, Godzilla... And uh, I'm I'm curious to see what he's going to do with Roland Midway Denver. coming out later this year. The Battle of Midway he's doing. And it seems like a pretty serious topic to give to such a blockbuster, uh, over-the-top driven director. Well, and I think you can really, for people that like Rod have movie blur between these two, just looking at the directors, you can definitely tell the difference. Because Olympus Has Fallen was from the director of Training Day. They say it mm-hmm. right big on the poster as well. So the one that's big, dumb, and goofy is <laughs> the Emmerich one. And the other, it takes itself a little more seriously, I think, to its detriment. Yeah, the other one is basic. Is now kind of turning into a Taken franchise because now you have... The good guy that you've been rooting for all this time, the tables have turned, and now he's running from the law. In the third one also. Right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I think that also happened with John Wick. Really? Well, don't That's spoil it because I haven't seen all of those. It's I've an only action seen the first staple. One. Yeah. So I'm predicting, you guys, that Hollywood is just going to continue to follow this pattern of Oh, who cares if they've got another Yeti movie coming out at such and such studios? This but, one's going to be the Yeti movie to end all Yeti movies. But you've got to wonder, seeing as TIFF, the Toronto International Film Festival, just ended, like, I wonder, are they all eating lunch in the same room? And somebody <laughs> at one table says, you know what, we're, we're going to make a movie about, you know, uh, flying turtles. And the next hey, thing you know, flying yeah. turtles three like flying turtle right. movies. Yeah, why aren't we seeing more lawsuits in Hollywood among these Big executives. You know what, though? There are examples of movies that have that have either, you know, decided we're not going to release this movie at all because it's too similar. Pixar has a movie um, that was going to be about like a salamander, I think, that Mm -hmm. they scrapped it because they thought the plot was too similar to Rio. Um, And recently, the uh, the last X Men movie, the Dark Phoenix movie, they did they, they complete, reshot the whole third right. act because people too said similar it was too to, similar to Captain Marvel, Captain Marvel or uh, Avengers Endgame, Captain Marvel because oh. it was in space and it was the mm. girl hero like the Phoenix and Captain Marvel looked similar I guess yeah. on the screen tests. And... So there are there are still people out there that have made some decisions. That to you try know, we'd, we're rather, we'd rather scrap it or do something different than try to be too similar. Well, yeah, because who's going to – is Dark Phoenix really going to compete with Marvel? 
Yeah. <laughs> Good I also luck. like when real life kind of comes into this, too. Uh, no Strings Attached and Friends with Benefits were really fun when they both came out at the same time because one had Ashton Kutcher and the other had Mila Kunis, and they're a real-life couple, <laughs> but they were in two different, pretty much the same movies where these two couples like start off trying to do the casual thing and end up falling I in love. I had forgotten and... all about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and speaking of that, I saw another movie with a very similar plot that I had I, it's an older film on Netflix now. I mean, old. It's like a year or two old. But uh, I actually kind of enjoyed it. And my wife kept turning to me saying, I can't believe we're watching a high school romance movie. And it was To All the Boys I've Loved Before. Loved that movie. Yeah, and just last year. I, I was surprised at how much I liked it. But very similar plot where – so she uh, writes all these letters, you know, never with the intention to send them out – to all of these boys that she's loved before. And her sister, who just watches her, you know, in pity, you know, you're, you could be out doing something with all your peers. Instead, you're watching reruns of The Golden Girls here with me on a Friday night. Her little sister sends out all those letters, including one of them goes to her uh, her big sister's ex-boyfriend. <laughs> so that really complicates things. But one of the guys that uh, gets a letter says, well, let's, I just broke up with my girlfriend. Let's just pretend to be boyfriend and girlfriend and she'll want me back type of thing. I don't exactly remember what's in it for the girl that is going along with this, but very similar plot. And it did well enough that uh, they're doing two more of those movies on Netflix. In fact, even be- they're going to start shooting the other one even before the second one comes out. Well, anything yeah. moderately yeah. successful on Netflix yeah. is going to get a couple. <laughs> couple Character sequels. development costs a lot of money. Yeah. Once you've got those characters developed, away you go. Yeah. If it well, works. we want to thank you, Rod, for being on screen cleaning again today and helping us out with our ripoffs segment for the show. Oh, today. you are welcome. And I just want you to know the only time the White House was taken down was by Canadians. I think it was in, what, 1814? Get yeah. out of here, yeah. Rod. Sorry. I just I had by, to bring that up. Guilty by association. <laughs> Canadian fact of the day from our resident Canadian. Well, when we return, Cole and I want to spend a little more time on this ripoffs uh, idea. And we want to tell you about a production company that specializes in confusing moviegoers. The blatant ripoff. Up next on Screen Cleaning. I could stay awake just to hear. That is our Silver Lining Cinema Stinger. We're going to be doing that here in just a minute. But uh, first I want to tell you about a production company. Sometimes success can come from riding the coattails of others. I'm sure we've all kind of experienced that a little bit in our lives. That certainly seems to be the case for The Asylum, an independent film company and distributor that produces low-budget direct-to-video films, most of which you'll probably see at the Redbox when you go to rent a movie. Many of the company's films capitalize on productions by major studios often using film titles and scripts very similar to current blockbusters in order to lure customers. And uh, these titles have been dubbed mockbusters. So they've actually gotten into trouble over the years. They've been around for a little while. Gee, I wonder why. Yeah, I know that uh, 
They came out with a Hobbit film that they got in trouble for, and they have a lot of other films that are very similar well, yeah, to do others. Do we want to go through some of these just to see if they remind you of any particular film? Snakes on a Train, I know, is one of them. Abraham Lincoln versus Zombies. Okay. The Fast and the Fierce. I don't, I don't okay. know what that's trying to get at. Atlantic Rim sounds of Pacific just vaguely Rim. familiar okay. to something. Yeah. yeah. Anyway... So Cole and I thought it would be interesting to each watch one of these films. He watched a different one than I did and to give a positive review of them because, you know, some people might look at these films and say, oh, they're so bad that they have to go direct to video. They have to rip off other films and there's zero budget on these things. But come on, there's got to be some good to be found in these films. Well, I am going to review the film Cargo. Which, uh, you know, might some somebody might look at this and think, oh, that's just a ripoff of Cars 3. Come on. Cargo tells the story of Danny, a teenaged car who's struggling to deal with the mounting peer pressure at school, as well as pressure from his dad at home. His dad wants him to follow in his footsteps and become a mechanic. And Danny's rebelliousness leads to his father being shipped off to Clunker Island which is a place where old beat-up cars get sent to uh, to be uh, repurposed as junk metal. And so Danny has to rescue his father from Clunker Island. Let's talk about the voice cast in this film first. You've got Ed Asner, who did a Pixar movie. He was also, you know, on the Mary Tyler Moore show. Everybody knows Ed Asner. Everybody loves Ed Asner. He plays the father. There's Melissa Joan Hart of... Clarissa explains it all fame, as well as Sabrina the Teenage Witch fame, as well as a handful of other ABC family shows she's done with Joey Lawrence. Uh, they've been a pretty good pair. It's like Judy Garland and, and Mickey Rooney, as well as Haley Joel Osment, the Oscar nominated actor of The Sixth Sense, who plays Danny, the rebellious. The, he kind of has a hard time. He doesn't know who he wants to be. Here's another plus. It's a musical. Now, this is something I felt wrong with. Yeah, I felt this was really missing from any of the Cars films was, come on, where's the music? I want to see these cars singing and dancing. You know, uh, it's not enough for me to just see them acting like humans. Uh, There are songs like um, there's a there's a rap song. There's a cargo theme song. There's a song that Danny sings called I'm Just a Teenage Car. So, yeah, that would have been nice in the Cars movies. Well, we've got them here in Cargo. It's jam-packed, and I mean jam-packed, from front bumper to back bumper with car puns. One of the characters' names—listen Look, to these names. Vincent Diesel, Greta Carbo, Sean Carnery, Don Carleone, La Carsa Nostra, Art Carbuncle, Cabigail, and Carlotta. I'm sure there were more, but those are just the ones that I was able to write down. They're cargo. doing it for you, Jeff. The best bang for your buck. A buck fifty at the red box. There you go. That's cargo. <laughs> and the asylum film that I chose to watch yes. is called Planet of the Sharks. Really? Now, right from the get-go, this movie has uh, something wonderful going for it because it doesn't just lean on the franchise of Planet of the Apes. Okay. That's kind of the image that it's trying to induce with you. But after after a couple subtle homages uh, within the first couple scenes, just like War of the Planet of the Apes did, they really decide to just clear themselves from that Planet of the title 
and go in an entirely different direction Good to give you them. something new. That's so great. if it's what you expected, they're subverting expectations, which is something I always look for in a movie. Absolutely. Planet of the Sharks has to deal with a far distant future where the polar ice caps have melted. This is a this is really an ecological warning film yes. that after the polar ice caps melt, everything on Earth floods and society is left to just a couple pier-looking, boat-looking societies that are are separated from one another by just large swashes of water. Okay. And the the kind of societies that that are built up there are just full of uh, eclectic individuals covering <laughs> all a good word, all sorts yeah. of all sorts of people and, and places. There's one girl that does just a spot-on Cajun accent that will really th- make you feel that you're back in New Orleans. Wow. So would you – I don't want to ask you if you would recommend it, but uh, did it did it have you on the edge of your seat? Edge of my seat for the whole ride. The sharks are, are beautiful. And, and again, I'm hoping that this will fit into the other Asylum creation and franchise, maybe the Sharknado cinematic universe. That, that someday the Sharknado films, the, the Sharknado will take up so much that it will actually flood the earth and lead to the world we see in Planet of the Sharks. You know, I did notice this as I was rifling through all the different titles from the Asylum, is that the Sharknado uh, franchise has done so well that the Asylum is basically parod- parod- parodying themselves with all these shark. NATO ripoffs. It's true. There were six Sharknado films concluding just last year with The Last Sharknado, It's About Time, which, of course, was about time travel. They're not saying it was about time to end the franchise or anything. Uh, two Planet of the Sharks movies, and then there's three-headed shark attack, five-headed shark attack, six-headed shark attack. I wouldn't be caught dead missing any of these shark movies. Interesting. Well... You can find them at your local Redbox that you can't miss them. Just look for a familiar title that's just slightly off, and you'll know it's an Asylum film. Anyway, when we return, we're going to do something we do on each and every show of screen cleaning. We're going to look a little deeper for that little nugget of goodness, and I think it's a good one this time, as we pan for good here on Screen Cleaning. Welcome to Merlin's Castle. There's a shark NATO coming. Dragon sharks? Good luck with that. Bye. Yeah. There's good in them there hills. <laughs> Welcome back to Screen Cleaning. This is the part of the show where we like to do a little deeper of digging to find that little nugget of goodness after hundreds of shows jeff you're still finding a different way to say we're panning for good we're panning for good right so this is not going to be a big splash in the news but it's something i'm excited about because if you go on to amazon prime right now you can find a show speaking of i don't want to say ripoffs but you can find a show that is kind of similar to a bug's life or ants and if you like those then you're sure to like The Insectables. Now, Cole, The Insectables, if you were to take A Bug's Life and mix it with Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, you'd have The Insectables. There are 52 episodes. Each episode is only about 11 minutes long. And, uh, you know, they, they star somebody you might know. 
Yeah, let's see if you recognize this Ram voice. Yes. Here! Huh? I'm gonna go right ahead and pretend I never saw that. So what? <laughs> That's right. Nothing at all. Gramps, it's me, and I didn't just see something really strange. Cool. Whoa, analog. Some old record player thing, like MP3s for cavemen. <laughs> I wonder if it still works. That is a some familiar voice uh, that it sounds like he's getting shrunk by some crazy contraption of his grandfather's. Some adventure is about to ensue. Right. That's actually me as Zach in The Insectables. Yeah, and uh, I spend the entire season trying to, now that I'm shrunk to the size of a bug, trying to, with the help of these other bugs and my grandfather, gather up all these parts of this broken machine of the Shrinkinator so that I can go back to being normal-sized again. And it's such a fun show. It was such a, a fun show to be a part of, and it's a fun show to watch. I'm so – we get to talk about media and movies and television every single week on Screen Cleaning. Jeff and I, I love that you're also in that world. Yeah, and uh, speaking of Pixar, I was I was pleasantly surprised at the quality of the animation in this because I was voicing it. And I thought, oh, you know, it'll be some – It'll be like direct-to-video type quality. But when I saw the quality of the animation, I thought, man, I should have asked for more money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go check it out on Amazon Prime. It's called The Insectables. And uh, just good little bite-sized episodes that you can watch and enjoy with your kids. The whole family. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Screen Cleaning. We're here each and every Saturday on BYU Radio, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. Or anytime on a podcast. That's right. And we'll be here next week. Until then, go enjoy a good movie.